When you are free, you live a life that sets other people free. God has more for you than you can ever imagine. Three words, hope, health, and healing. Amen by myself. Welcome to Midtown. Hey, we are in a sermon series on hope. Hope, uh, when, when you feel like quitting on God, hope. And uh, we, we want to, in this series, the hope was that uh, when you face trials, tensions, conflicts, that this would be the moment that your hope, your faith would be strengthened, not the time that you would throw hope in the towel, uh, throw, throw in the towel on hope. And <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, so, uh, if you've missed any of the sermons in this series, you can go to our website, you can go to our YouTube channel, you can go to our podcast. We'd love for you to catch up on this sermon series entitled Hope When You Want to Quit on God. With that in mind, there is a word found in the 42nd Psalm. Psalm 42, beginning with verse 1, it reads as follows. As the deer pants for streams of water, So my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. From this text, I want to speak to you on the title, Hoping for the Best and Not Settling for Less. Hoping for the Best, Not Settling for Less. God, I pray this would be your message. Ultimately, you would be speaking I would just be the vessel you've decided to use to say what you want to say. To these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers, I desire to be obedient to your word. So please let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hoping for the best and not settling for less. I have a question for you. You don't have to answer this out loud. I just want you to wrestle with it. When you are at your last resort... When you find yourself desperate, what do you do? When things aren't going the way you wanted them to go and you have to make a last-minute decision, what do you do? Where do you go? That is the pivotal question in this message. Sometimes we are at our last resort. Sometimes we are at the last point of decision because we waited too long. We procrastinated. We didn't take advantage of the opportunities before us. It reminds me when I was in high school. This, this was before I was married, before I was dating Donisha, a long, long time ago. This, this, I, I, I wasn't dating Donisha at the time. I, I, was, I was going out with her. This is my junior year in high school. I, I was going out with a girl named Jovenet, and uh, it, was, it was not a healthy relationship, and my youth pastor talked me into breaking up with Jovenet, which, which was a good decision because it wasn't a healthy relationship. And so I broke up with Jovenet. The problem was it was two months before prom. And so that put me in a dilemma because I didn't have a prom date, but I had some ideas. And so one, one of my ideas is I was going to ask this girl named Dion Nib, 
to prom. I was going to ask Dion, but for some reason, every time I got ready to ask her to prom, I just, I don't know why, I just was like, I, I would turn the conversation someplace else. I'd say, hey, Dion. She'd say, hey. And I'd say, um, what do you think they're serving in the cafeteria for lunch today? I bet it's cheeseburgers again. That's what you think is cheeseburgers? She said, I don't know if it's cheeseburgers. What is it? I said, me neither, me neither. And then I would go on. And it kept getting closer and closer to prom. And I, and I, I didn't have nobody to go to prom with. So one day I just, I just was like, hey, hey, Dion, I, I, I want to talk to you about prom. She was like, for real? I wanted to talk to you about prom too. I was like, what? She said, we should talk about it on the phone after school. I was like, cool. So we exchanged phone numbers. And so I'm like, you know, I, I was getting ready to call her. But then she called me before I could call her. And I was like, you know, I was trying to sound cool on the phone. She was like, hey, Ephraim. I was like, hey, what's up? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't do that anymore. I mean, matter of fact, if you know a pastor that goes, hey, you shouldn't go to that church. You should. <laughs> like, you're like, let me pray for you. <laughs> like, don't, no, you, leave that church. <laughs> Some of y'all are here because you he was like, no. <laughs> Anyway, I wasn't a preacher then. I wasn't a pastor then. So I was like, hey, yeah, what's up? What's up, Dion? She was like, well, I called to talk to you about prom. I said, I know, I know, I know. And she was like, so you don't have nobody to go to prom with? I was like, no, I don't. She was like, okay, let me put you on the phone with my friend Stacy. <laughs> so then Stacy Manuel got on the phone, and Stacy was like, hey. I was like, hey. She was like, you going to prom with anybody? I said, no, you going with anybody? She said, no, maybe me and you should go. I said, okay. And then, then Dion got back on the phone. She was like, that's awesome because me and Derek is going to prom and we can double date. See what happens when you procrastinate? See what happens when you're at your last resort? You end up at the prom with Stacy. And we watching Derek and Dion dancing while we just sitting there eating appetizers at the prom. We danced on the fast songs, and then when the slow songs came on, we was like, well, I guess we should go sit down. Yeah. But then we took pictures. Now, here's the crazy thing. Stacy and I took pictures at the prom, and I don't know why I got some of them, and my mom sent them to my grandmother on my mom's side and my grandmother on my dad's side. I would go to my grandparents' house in Monroe, Louisiana, and I see a picture of me and Stacy on the mantle from prom. That picture stayed up there until I asked Donisha to marry me, and finally... The picture got taken down. A reminder. Have you ever been in a bad spot because you procrastinated? You waited too long. Now, that story about prom, that's no big deal. But some of us, when we procrastinate, when we don't step into God's purpose and call for our lives, we can find ourselves in a crisis. We can find ourselves in turmoil. The funny thing is sometimes when we are in turmoil or crisis for not following God, we blame God for being in the crisis or the turmoil that we're in it because we didn't follow God. Ain't that something? We're in a predicament because we didn't follow God, we didn't wait on God, we didn't call out to God, and then we get mad at God, the one we didn't call on, the one we didn't follow, the one we weren't even obedient to. But the funny thing is even when we're in a crisis and we blame God or feel like we're not hearing from God, God will still meet us in the midst of our predicament. Waiting until the last minute can lead to crisis. 
Life can cause crisis. Sometimes the crises, the tensions, the challenge that we're in, sometimes it's not even based on our own behavior. Have you ever had a crisis in your life because you got too close to somebody else in a crisis? You got turmoil on you because you were too close to somebody in turmoil. And so all of a sudden, somebody else's turmoil, somebody else's crisis, somebody else's challenge has now become yours. But a crisis doesn't mean God has forgotten about you. It could mean God is looking for you. It could mean God is waiting on you. It is possible to find hope, to find faith, to find strength in the midst of trouble, in the midst of desperation, in the midst of crisis. This is what the book of Psalms is all about. Psalms is a collection of Hebraic poetry. Psalms is broken into four books, four parts. Most of Psalms is written by King David, but not all of it. But what all of the books, all of the poetry in Psalms has in common is its people keeping it real with God. It's people that are in crisis, people that are in trouble, people that are depressed, people that are carrying anxiety, people that are carrying stress, people that the enemies are after them, people that are being lied on and talked about, people that are dealing with their own sins and their own brokenness and they're wondering if God is still out there. They're believing that God is there and yet they feel like there are these moments because of the trials and the tribulations and the stresses that God is not there. God, do you hear me? It's like in the movie Titanic. Is anybody out there? That's what Psalms is all about. Psalms is about keeping it real. Psalms is letting us know that you can shout at God if you have to. You can cry in front of God if you have to. You can use some choice words in the presence of God. He heard it when you were saying it when you didn't think God is around. You might as well say it now that you know God is all around. What, what, what Psalms is saying is the best thing you can do in the midst of crisis, in the midst of problems, in the midst of challenges, in the midst of tribulations, is to keep it real with God and keep it real with yourself. <laughs> Psalms. It, it, Dr. Tony Evans says in his commentary, the Psalms cover every possible circumstance, life could throw at us. So with that in mind, how do we find hope? How do we strengthen our faith regardless of the circumstance we're navigating? That's what this message is all about. The key to finding the hope you need. Psalm 42 is not written by David. It says it's written by the sons of Korah. This is important because the sons of Korah were active in Levitical worship. This means that they were priests and they were worshipers. They were living out assignments in God's temple and what today we would call the church. That's good news that this psalm that is dealing with trouble and crisis is written by the sons of Korah because it reminds us that just because you're in the church don't mean you're not going to have a crisis. 
Just because you're a pastor don't mean you're not going to have trouble. Just because you're a Christian don't mean you're not going to have problems. Because some Christians, some pastors stopped believing in God because for some reason they thought once they started following Jesus, once they got really strong in their faith, once they really stepped into holiness and righteousness, that they weren't going to have any problems. I mean, there's a theology out here that's basically saying if you really have real faith, you're going to be rich, you ain't never going to get sick, you ain't going to wheeze, you ain't going to have a cough, prosperity's all around you. I believe in biblical prosperity, but the Bible also talks about persecution too. It don't just talk about prosperity, it talks about persecution. It talks about promises, it talks about prosperity, it talks about purpose, but it doesn't remove persecution. And so just because you're in church don't mean you ain't going to be in trouble. And, and so what do you do? How do you find hope? I'm, I'm so glad that the sons of Korah, these worshipers, these, these priests, these, these, these sons of God want to give us some direction. So what is it that we do to strengthen our faith? One, when you're desperate, discover or rediscover God. When you've come to your wit's end, when you tried everything, when you've given it all you could give, when you've come up with all the answers you can come up with in your human mind, when, you, when you've used your high school diploma, your GED, your AA, your BA, your BS, your MA, your MD, your, when, you, when you've used your, your, your PhD, when you, when you put everything on the table intellectually you can, when you, when you lean on your past, when you lean on your strength, when you've done all of that and you're still at your wit's end, this is the opportunity to discover or rediscover the importance of God in your life. I know you're smart, but you ain't that smart. I know you're strong, but you ain't that strong. I know you're wise, but you ain't that wise. I know you're gifted, but you ain't too gifted for God. You, ain't, you, can't, you can't outsmart God. Old people in my church growing up used to say, you can't beat God giving no matter how hard you try. But the principle goes into everything. You can't beat God giving. You can't beat God healing. You can't beat God keeping a promise. You can't beat God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, in power, in authority. You can't beat God, so you might as well just give in to God. And when you are in crisis, when you're facing challenges, when you're in the in-between, this is when you can discover God in wonderful ways. Pastor Richard Sherman, who's on our staff, said this to me this week. He said, anyone who God has helped greatly has hurt deeply on some level. You don't truly know how good God is till you've experienced how bad being without God is. If you've hurt deeply, that is the very moment where you can experience God greatly. Psalm 42 verse 1 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, my God. That means if you're thirsty in your soul, if you're in a famine in your soul, if you're in a dry place in your life, if you're in a dry place in unemployment, if you're in a dry place because of your money is funny, if you're in a dry place in your marriage, if you feel like, like, like I'm thirsty, 
thirsty. That's when you need God the most. It says in verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. That means when your problems are so great, you don't feel like eating. When you're giving up catfish, collard greens, yams, and macaroni and cheese, it's real bad. When you're giving up hot cornbread, it's, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. It's bad. If, you're turning around, if you're turning down red beans and rice, it's bad. Y'all better go eat when I'm done. The, the, the problems the son of Korah were writing about was so bad they couldn't eat. And then when you feel bad, you look bad. And then people notice how bad you look. And some of the people that you would want support from mock you instead of supporting you. Where your God now? I thought you was a Christian. I thought you read the Bible. I thought you prayed. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God. How, how under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. When you're desperate, it's an opportunity to discover or rediscover God because life brings crisis. And crisis shows up in multiple dimensions. You can have a spiritual crisis where you're trying to figure out if God is there, if it's only man, if, if when death comes, is that it? Is that the end of the story? When you're thinking that way, when you're questioning that way, it's nothing wrong with that. It just means that you're experiencing a spiritual challenge, a spiritual crisis on some level. Or you may be going through an emotional crisis, all right? Or you might be going through, you know, a crisis in your mind, a crisis in your heart, the things that you thought you had learned aren't like working for some reason or you're questioning your own feelings you're questioning your own instincts you're questioning your own gut that can be an, an emotional crisis or a physical crisis the pain you feel in your body and do you know sometimes the spiritual the emotional and the physical crises can be interconnected you can have a parlay of crisis because the reason your neck hurts and your back hurts is because what's going on in your soul and what's going on in your soul is a wake-up call of getting retuned in your spirit. Amen. And this is the opportunity to get aligned with God. If your car needs an alignment every once in a while, maybe your whole being with God needs an alignment. Amen. Point two, the key to finding the hope you need. When you're desperate, discover, rediscover God. Two, when you're down, remember the one who lifts you up. Psalm 42, verse 6 says, My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. What can happen is when you feel like you're in a low circumstance, your soul will start to feel low too. If you're in a situation where you feel like you're being pulled down, all of a sudden you feel down. You're, you, you're, you, you're feeling, so, the, so downcast 
is a description of what is going on in somebody's soul on the inside when outside forces push you down, when outside forces make you feel lower than who God created you to be. Have you ever had people, have you ever had an institution, have you ever had an organization make you feel lower than you really are? You, 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 you've graduated from college, but they want to make you feel like you don't know nothing. You have experience, but they want to make you feel like you don't have no experience. I know what that's like. I know, I know what it's like for somebody to trash your dissertation. I know what it's like for people to take the things that you've accomplished and use it against you like you nothing and make it seem like it don't mean nothing. And when they try to put your being in a hole, all of a sudden your heart gets in a hole and your mind gets in a hole and you're trying to climb your way out. Well, you can't climb your way out of everything. Sometimes instead of climbing out, you need God to pull you out. And I'm so glad that there's no hole deep enough that God can't pull me out of. There's no hole. There's no pit. There's no valley. There's no cave. If God can pull Daniel out of the lion's den, he can pull you up. If God can pull Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the furnace, he can pull you out. If God can pull Ezekiel out of a valley of dead bones and set him on a hill, God can pull you out. There's no hole. If God can pull Jesus out of a grave, he can pull you out of anything you're going through. I wish I had a witness up in here. A hole can't hold you. A cave can't hold you. Even the grave can't hold you. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna keep saying it till you feel it. Get out the hole. Get out the cave. Get out the grave. Get your marriage out the grave. Get your manhood out the grave. Get your womanhood out the grave. Get your mind out the grave. Get your heart, get your kids out the grave. Get your grandbabies out the grave. Get your past. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it, y'all. Yeah. Let's put the devil in the hole and let's get out. <laughs> let's put the devil in the hole. Put the devil under your feet and put him in the hole that he dug for you. Y'all hear me? Some of the people trying to push you in a hole, they're going to fall in the hole they dug for you. When they fall in there, say, I pray you get out. <laughs> no, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. <laughs> Let me get to my last point. The key to finding the hope you need, when you feel alone, receive God's presence. I wonder how alone Daniel felt in the lion's den. I wonder how alone Esther felt when she said, go fast and pray for me and I'm going to stay in this room by myself and then I'm going to risk my life and go tell the king to not kill all my people. I wonder how Moses felt 
on that mountain deciding if he would listen to the burning bush or not. See, see, see what, what Satan wants to do is make you feel so alone, so in the dark, so isolated that you give up on everything. So first you start giving up on people that love you. Then you start giving out people, giving up on the people that raised you and wanted you to do right. Then you give up on yourself. You start, you start questioning who you are. You, you don't believe in you anymore. And then you leave God out. That's what the enemy wants. For you to cut off the people that really love you and care for you, the ones that raised you and want the best for you, then Satan wants you not only to stop believing in those people that truly love you, but then to stop believing in yourself, to question your own skills and abilities, and then to question God. Because once you question the people that really love you, once you question yourself, it's, it's pretty easy then to start disbelieving in God and you lose all hope. So, the good news is, if you feel isolated, I know some stories of God going after isolated people. God will meet you in the desert. God will meet you in the valley. God will meet you at the end of a dirt road. God will meet you in poverty. God will meet you at the signature of a divorce paper. God will meet you at a pink slip from an employer. God will meet you when the doctor gives you a bad report. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither height nor depth. Nothing, no principality, no spirit, nothing. Nothing. But what Satan wants to do is convince you that nobody's going through this but you. Nobody's ever dealt with this but you. It's just you. Why me, Lord? Why me, Lord? Ah, when you feel alone, receive God's presence. God does great work with people in tough places. Great work with people. Let me me get to my close. Because what do you do, sisters and brothers, when you've tried everything? When you've tried everything, what do you do? I say you should rest in him. If you tried everything and you still find yourself in crisis, rest in what you believe by faith God is going to do. After a while, you got to stop arguing with people. After a while, you got to stop going back and forth with people. After a while, you just have to rest your case. You know, a good lawyer knows when to rest their case. They present all the evidence that needs to be presented. They examine and they cross-examine all the witnesses. And at some point in time, before the verdict is given, they rest their case. Y'all don't hear me. Lawyers don't rest their case after the verdict is given. They rest their case before the verdict is given, which means before the verdict of healing, I rest my case. Before the verdict of power, I rest my case. Before the 
verdict of freedom, I rest my case. Before the verdict of salvation, I rest my case. I'm giving you testimony that God is real, that Jesus is real, that heaven is real. And even though the verdict has not come yet, one day Jesus is going to return and everything will be set straight. All of creation will be made right. You and I will be in glory. There'll be no war, no pain, no racism, no human trafficking, no murder, no lying, no poverty. But until then, I rest my case. If I was still black and Baptist, I'd have walked off just like this. <laughs> but I got, I got one last thing to say. That's why. Why am I telling you to rest? Because sometimes the best thing you can do in a storm is retain your peace. Sometimes when people are lying on you, misrepresenting you, the best thing to do and say, you know what? You don't deserve no more of my tears. You know what? You don't get to keep me up all night. I'm going night, night. <laughs> when a storm came, the disciples were jumping up and down. Oh, my Lord. You know what Jesus was doing? They woke him up. He rubbed his eyes. He looked at the storm. He said, shh, and went back to sleep. Sometimes... When your problems wake you up in the middle of the night, you need to think of them people in that circumstance and go, shh, and go back to bed. Go back to bed. Because some storms don't go away, and we have to endure them. We're closing out Black History Month, and one of the people I think about during the civil rights movement is Medgar Evers. Medgar Evers, some would argue that his death and the death of Emmett Till is what ignited the civil rights movement. And uh, Medgar Evers was simply trying to get black people in the Jim Crow South to realize their full participation in the democracy of this nation. And his life was taken. The storm of oppression and segregation took his life, but it didn't take the hope of his wife. We're fortunate to have a sister in our congregation who is a member of the Evers family. I want you to hear this story. My name is Carol Evers, or, and I was married to Merle and Medgar Evers' son, Daryl. Medgar Evers was a civil rights activist, and he would travel throughout the South to enroll people in insurance, but also to encourage people to register to vote. At that time, it was illegal for black people to vote. 
that was the practice and there was a threat always of them being killed for voting. You know, they were not allowed to go into restaurants and different places to eat. So they decided that that was just not going to be okay. You know, they decided that they were going to do more to get black people the equality that they deserved in America. They went and fought for this country, and it didn't seem right, and it wasn't right for them to come back and be treated like second-class citizens or worse. He later married Merle Evers when they met at Alcorn. He had been out, I think it was at a rally, and he had some t-shirts that he was bringing home, and it was in the evening, and he was getting out the car. Uh, Byron Dale Beckwith shot him in the back. The children and, the, and Merle came running out, and they saw him on the driveway bleeding. And so, you know, he was taken to the hospital, but he eventually passed. My mother-in-law picked up the baton that Medgar had started, and um, she gave her life to the civil rights movement. Without her, people might not have known as much as they do about his contribution to civil rights. You know, she carried on the, uh, the movement of civil rights. She became the chairwoman of the NAACP and doing whatever she could to keep talking about it and keep it out there in front of people, in front of the public. Very determined to keep him, his name alive, his work alive, his cause alive, his ideals alive. Yeah, he had a saying, you can kill a man, but you can't kill an idea. She very much believed in that, and um, it was the fire that was lit underneath her. And you, you've got to have hope, you know, you've got to believe in change. You've got to believe that it, it can happen. It takes that kind of passion. It takes that kind of vision. And of course, you know, she trusted God for everything. Medgar grew up across the street from the church. And, you know, in the South, it was like all day Sunday when you went to church. And, uh, of course, Marley was raised as a Christian as well. To push past uh, all the things that would make the average person stop, you know. It's like, wait, my life is in danger, my family's life is in danger, but God is, God is in the plan. Yeah, God is very much in the plan in their lives. And, very much a firm, firm foundation. You know, she said to me at one time, you know, God has been so good to me, I hope I've done good. She just wanted to make what was wrong right. And that's how you live, you know, that's how you accomplish things. That's, that's the kind of lesson I think that we could all draw from today um, in terms of carrying on the civil rights movement and whatever else calling God has for you. I'm grateful for what she's done. I'm grateful for her being in my life. So I, I felt like I've been privileged to sit in the, in the room, you know, with somebody great, you know, not just somebody great, but somebody who's like an example of a higher calling and what it looks like to do that, what it takes to do that. You know, um, 
One, when I look at a video like that, I want to acknowledge we are so fortunate that we have a communications, marketing, and production team that can put something together like that. So I'm grateful to Kira and CJ and Caitlin and Marissa and Daniel and Werner and Gabe and uh, 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 DJ Gino and DJ Mike, just all the people that make it possible for us to have that kind of presentation. And, uh, and I'm reminded that we mention a lot of names of men during the civil rights movement, from the civil rights movement. We shouldn't forget Betty Shabazz, Coretta King, Fannie Lou Hamer, Diane Nash, Shirley Chisholm, Merle Evers. I don't want you to forget them because when you're going through storms, I don't want you to forget what God can do in your life. I'm going to close in prayer. If you need additional prayer, there'll be folks up here uh, that will be here uh, to pray for you. And uh, I, uh, I want you to take advantage of that. And uh, this is a meaningful Sunday for me uh, to be able to, I, I didn't know there was going to be a Sunday when I could look out and see my wife, see my mom and dad, see my fraternity, and know that God is good, that God is good. And I, I think, Sister Letty Ballion, you would agree that um, this, this is a storm-proof church. That doesn't mean that storms won't come, but this church is proof that you can survive a storm. That's why we are still here, because we have survived storms. God, I pray that you would, in the midst of trouble, allow us to strengthen, mature, and grow our hope so that we have such a strong faith that no storm can shake us from it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning into Midtown Church. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast for weekly messages to stay rooted in the word and for a dose of hope, health, and healing in your life. Want to get more connected to Midtown Church? Just visit us online at midtownchurch.org.